cry of the believer is that the Lord would speak to us. And I desire that He will open up our understanding today from His Word, this blessed Word of the Lord. In early August, after watching fires burn all over the country, in Portland, we watched the American flag and Bibles being burnt. There has been an attack on the Word of God from the very beginning. When Satan himself said to Eve, Has God said? Desiring that man would question the Word of the living God. The New Testament Scriptures, in addition to the Hebrew Scriptures, have been burned over and over again. In 303 A.D., Diocletian, who was a Roman emperor, with a empire-wide persecution against Christians, pronounced an edict, wrote an imperial letter that was everywhere distributed. And he ordered in that edict the raising of churches, the burning down of churches to the ground, and the destruction by fire of the Scriptures, the Bible. And in that edict, he proclaimed that those who held high positions would lose all their civil rights, while those in their households, if they continued to worship God and profess Christianity, they would be deprived of their liberty. Sounds a little bit like the cancel culture of today. And I couldn't help but think of the encouragement of leadership in this country to ask family members to rat their parents out if on Thanksgiving Day they did not abide by an edict to only have six people in their home that the children would go back to school and they would be asked, what did your parents do? And I thought of that scripture. The Lord addressed in the time of the end, writing about how the persecution against the people of God would come, family, turning in family that would profess Christ and proclaim an allegiance to the Bible. Diocletian might have ordered that in 303 A.D., but just 25 years later, a new emperor 
Constantine would sit on the throne. And rather than destroying the the Word of God and burning the churches, he put out an edict. And he commanded that 25 copies of the Bible would be produced and paid for by the state. Many people believe that um, one of those copies exists today. I've done some reading on that. And if it's not one of the copies, it's certainly a copy of one of those copies. They can seek to destroy the Word of God. They can seek to burn it, to squelch the Bible. It was Voltaire in 1778, long after both of those emperors, who predicted that within a hundred years that Christianity would be no more. It would be gone. Voltaire, the French philosopher, the infidel, the atheist. Well, a few short years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society was printing Bibles on his presses in his home. And Jesus would say that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And we are holding in our hands today an incredible treasure. Do you value it? Do you know what you hold in your hands? A book that was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, some of which were kings, military leaders, philosophers, judges, shepherds. Written from three different continents, Africa, Asia, Europe. And yet as you look at this incredible treasure that's in our hands, written in such a way with all kinds of different literary genres from prophecy and history and poetry parables. You look at this incredible book written in such a way, there is a continuity to it. There is a message that that, that is found in that book uh, throughout all of those centuries of writing, and it's a common theme. And there's a lot of controversial things that are penned in the Bible, and yet it didn't matter what point in history it was penned All that wrote came together affirming the same message. There's no other book like that. There's not even a series of books and a series of writings through the ages that can claim that. A lot of different great books written by a lot of great authors. 
and yet they'll disagree among themselves about some of these controversial things found under the sun. But not the Bible. Written in three different languages, the Old Testament, most of it being penned in Hebrew, sections of it being penned in Aramaic, and then the New Testament being penned in Greek the common language of the day. God would see to it that his book was put in a language that could be understood by humanity. And now today, of all the books that have ever been penned throughout all of human history, there is one book that sits on a shelf all by itself, and it's the Bible. You might have bestsellers, and you might sell 100,000 copies or maybe a million copies Maybe 10 million copies, but the Bible has sold by the billions. And of the 6,000 different languages in the world, better than 2,200 uh, of them have had the Bible translated into their language. Most books are never translated. Oh, you might find them translated in one or two or three, maybe ten languages. But no book like the Bible. And it's been preserved in an incredible way. Written on perishable material. Written on skins of animals that have been scraped. Written on papyrus. Material that could deteriorate. And yet this book has been so meticulously copied by scribes and authorities that the Jewish community have in the Hebrew Bible at the end of every book statistics. They knew what the center letter and the center word of that book of the Bible was. And they were so certain in their copying of the Scripture that having copied a scroll and compared and counted the letters and counted the words, so certain that they had copied it correctly that they were willing to destroy the copy they copied from. We know the integrity of the copying of the Hebrew Scriptures when in the 1940s the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the Qumran caves of Israel. When I was in Israel, I had the joy of taking a trip and stopping outside of Qumran and looking across the little valley at these caves on the mountainside, thinking about that little shepherd boy who happened to throw a stone inside a cave and heard a clink against some earthenware and to climb into that cave and have that incredible discovery of those scrolls that had sat there for over a thousand years. And when they compared those scrolls to the ones that were in our hands, the match was almost perfect. This book has been preserved in a way that no other literary book in history 
Plato cannot claim that about his writings, Aristotle. doesn't matter what philosopher, what historian you look into. None of them have the, uh, the, 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 the careful copying of the Bible and the extent of fragments of the Bible that they have, the Bible has. We're holding a treasure. And the authorship of which can only be explained through the Spirit of the living God. So that we can be in a building today and with confidence say, we're holding in our hands the Word, the revelation of God. Do you comprehend that? And it's with that thought in mind that Peter would write in the first chapter, verses 22 through 25, the words that we looked at last week, which are, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. Now, how can you do that? For you have been born again. You've got a new life, a new start, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. You've been born again. The concept of birth not of seed, which is perishable, but of imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. I have six children that have been born of my seed but I'm going to perish. And I understand the concept of birth, and I understand the concept of children. And so, because I understand that concept, He's going to teach me of a new life, a new start, a new birth that comes through the seed of the Word of God. That seed that's been planted in my heart See, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. You know that, right? And the flower withers. It just kind of falls off. But in contrast to the perishable, once again we have the Word of the Lord that endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. This enduring Word of God, verse 23, this Word of the Lord that endures forever, this imperishable Word, this living Word, this Word that was preached to you because of everything that He says about the Word of God He then begins what we call the second chapter, which they didn't have chapter divisions when Peter wrote his letter. 
Those were put in later so we could find these texts in the Word of God. But beginning in chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, you need to ask yourself, why is the therefore there? You heard that. In light of the Word of God that brought you to birth, that started your new life, your new experience, in light of that, therefore, putting aside, and he's going to list five things. Putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babes. Those of you that have been brought to birth by the living, enduring Word of God, like a newborn baby, I know this about newborn babies. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I've had six. And there, this is true about them, and it was true about you. When you got hungry, you were going to eat. And it didn't matter if no one else got to eat. It didn't matter if someone needed to get to sleep. You were going to eat. And you were going to raise a ruckus until you got to eat. No one would be comfortable until you were fed. And you were passionate about it, right? Is that true? Any of you mothers here had experience with children? You know, that's true, right? And so, like a newborn baby, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. The command, the imperative command in verses 1 through 3 is found in verse 2, long for the pure milk of the Word. Long for it. Long for it the same way that a baby longs for milk. Long for that word and, and, and make certain that nothing else will be satisfied around you until you get that milk of the word. No Bible, no breakfast. You ever hear that? And yet the people of God will go for days and weeks and months and years without even reading the Bible. And they wonder why they're not growing. You see, it's by it that you and I grow. Grow in all aspects of this salvation. The Lord never saved us that we, would re- we were to remain babies, immature, disobedient. No. He gave us new life that we might grow. 
and that we might grow into maturity. And that maturity is to be measured by the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth involves you and me being conformed to the image of the Lord. Having the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might be rich. Consider other people to be more important than yourselves. All these things that were true of the Lord are to be true of us. He didn't just save us from the penalty of our sin. He is saving us from the power of our sin and ultimately the presence of our sin. Maturity is measured by the person of Christ. You and I will never get there apart from the Bible. And the reason, the reason, the motivating factor to get into the Bible is found in the last phrase, if, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. You see the imagery there, milk, taste. And you could better translate the word if, since. Since you've tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord in your life? Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord in your life? Oh, t- taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever read that text in the Old Testament? And you stop and begin to reflect on your own life, and you see the goodness of the Lord. I see the goodness of the Lord in the providence that he has had in my life. I look back, and while it was difficult for me to be taken away from my natural mother and my natural father and not know that experience, in the providence of God, I was taken to a Christian foster home. It was there in that Christian foster home that I was given a copy of the Bible. And it was there in that Christian foster home that I was taken to an assembly of believers every single week, Sunday morning. And then we would climb back into a car after we'd had a wonderful Sunday afternoon dinner and a few hours of rest or listening to the radio show Unshackled. We'd be put back in a car and driven back to church Sunday night. And we'd sit through another session of hearing the Word of God. Oh, the providence of God that He would begin to work in my heart. And as a child, open it up to the gospel and to have that seed. And I'll never forget the seed that was tossed into my heart that day. The story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross of Calvary 
to save his people. Oh, I remember that, that seed. It settled in. And I got on my knees in the living room before a couch, and I cried out to God for Jesus to be my Savior. And I believe that he died for me, that he was buried, and he rose again. And then I watched as the Lord continued to work in my life and bring me to the place where I had an opportunity to go to a Christian university and every single day of the week to sit and hear a chapel where different professors and different faculty and different visiting speakers would come and give a word of the Lord, a challenge from the book. And the Bible was poured into me, and I majored in Bible, and I minored in the Greek language, and I had all of that opportunity, and then I had an opportunity to go further and, and, and get a master's degree in the Bible and continue to do Ph.D. work and focus on Old Testament and just study the Bible and learn the Hebrew language and learn the Aramaic language and learn the Greek language. Now, I've forgotten most of it, okay? But exposed to the Bible, oh, the providence of God in my life, and it was then during the Bible that I got a phone call from a friend who asked me if I'd come and help him start a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And initially I said no. And yet through the circumstances of the hand of God, this Lord that I have tasted and seen that He is good, in His goodness He takes us to Brookside, Wisconsin. And we help in the establishment of the Brookside Baptist Church. And we meet some of the finest Christians I've ever met in my life. Some of the most gracious Christians who modeled Christ-likeness to me. Who mentored me. Who encouraged me. Who prayed with me. And I had that experience. And then I had the experience of going to help another church be reestablished in western North Carolina. Not because I was seeking that but that the Lord in His providence opened up the door and put us through that door, and we were there for nearly 10 years. And while we were there, totally satisfied, believing that this was going to be where we were to remain for the rest of our life, built a 3,600-square-foot home, three doors down from the church, in a retirement town, and three of the four neighbors were New Yorkers. That wasn't the plan of God. No, in the providence of God, He had something else for us. And that providential plan of God would involve the city of New York to help the Covenant Mercy Mission. And then in the providence of God to come help Manor Community Church. I look at all of that and I look at the children that the Lord has given me. And I look at the wife that the Lord has given me. I look at all of these things, and you know what? I see the kindness of the Lord. Since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, I've seen His providence. I've seen His protection. 
I have incidents in my life that cannot be explained outside of guardian angels protecting my life physically. I have seen his protection. He has protected me from me. And I have seen him protect me from those that would seek to destroy me. I have tasted and I have seen the providence of God. I've seen the protection of God. I've seen the provision of God. The ministry in New York City that we have had has been the most difficult hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But it's been the most rewarding. And we have just sat back and seen the Lord provide. We came to New York City to assume the leadership of the Covenant Mercy Mission and all they had was a building. No people a building with a rich history and a $3 million debt. How would you have liked to have walked into that? Being told by others that it was impossible. Even family thinking I was crazy. But Jill and I knowing that this was the will of God. And now, here we are, less than 20 years later, out of debt, in a building, two and a half times the size of the one that had the debt. in Midtown Manhattan with you dear people. And I've been reading the history of Manor Community Church and old records and I have come across the fact that Manor Community Church has always been a poor church. Helping the least of these ministering to the children and the youth in Elliott Projects, opening up the doors to military soldiers during World War II, 11,000 sleeping in the basement of this building, 80 at a time, getting a free night's stay and a hot breakfast the next morning and a letter written home to their parents. I was reading just yesterday some of those old letters that have been sent back by parents showing their gratitude and thanks for the fact that their son would spend a night in a safe place. I could tell you story after story after story that does not make sense apart from the hand of the living God. Oh, I have tasted. I have experienced. That's what that word can also mean. I have tasted and I have seen 
that the Lord is good. That is the motivating factor that makes you want to listen to what He says. That makes you want to hear His Word. This eternal, enduring, living, life-giving, new birth Word that comes from God. We're not talking about the words of men. We're talking about the God who made us. The God who has the ability to say, let there be light, and there's light. You try that. You could say a thousand times, let there not be light, and that light's going to burn unless it burns out. I could shut all the lights off in this room and let you cry for 10,000 or 100,000 or a million years, let there be light. You can't do that. We're talking about this being that has the authority and the power to do that. We're talking about the being that gave you physical life. We're talking about the God in His kindness that not only providentially leads you and providentially protects you and providentially provides for you, but we're talking about the God who gave you new life. Think of that. Think of that kindness. Think of the kindness of His grace. Think of the kindness of His mercy. Think of the kindness of His love. Have you tasted that? Have you tasted any of that? If you have, then like a newborn babe, crave and desire the milk of the book. Do you have your face in the book as much as you have it on Facebook? Five things will keep yourself, you from the Bible in this text. Five things that you must lay aside. You see, the command is to long for the Word, but you've got to set aside five things to do that. And these five things will keep you from the Bible. Do you ever hear anyone say the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible? Five specific things that must be laid aside. They must be discarded like old clothes. They must be taken off. And what are they? The first one is malice. Do you see it? Now, not just malice, but the text says, now let's not leave out a word. It says all malice, right? You see, malice will keep you from desiring the Word of God. Malice is a mean-spirited, vicious attitude or disposition toward other people. Do you wish ill on other people? If you're the type of person that is harboring malice in your heart, that malice will keep you from the Bible. But there's a second thing that he mentions here in the text. And it is all deceit. 
And that word is a word that means to take advantage of other people through craft and underhanded methods, to deceive them, to be cunning, to use treachery, to beguile them. You the type of person that likes to deceive people to get a better advantage? My friend, that will keep you from the Bible. There's a third thing that he mentions here in the text. Hypocrisy. A hypocritical spirit. It speaks of the desire to create a public impression that's at odds with one's own personal purpose or motive. Pretense. An outward show. A pretender. Hypocrisy. We've seen it illustrated a lot recently in this whole coronavirus thing. Governors and mayors telling the people that they must do this and you can't do that. And after the television screens turn off, they go and do exactly what they told us we couldn't do. Hypocrites. Play actors. You see, hypocrisy will keep you from the Bible. Fourth thing he mentions here is jealousy, a jealous spirit. The spirit that begrudges someone else what they have. They see what others have, they see what what others have gained. And they're resentful. They don't like them. They're jealous. Jealousy will keep you from the Bible. And then he mentions a fifth thing. Something that is so easy for us to do. A slanderous spirit. A word that speaks ill of another. Now, some of the things you say about other people could be very true, but still slanderous. When the desire is to build ourselves by tearing other people down to defame them that we might look better, That slander will keep us from the Bible. You see, you've got to lay it aside. And the implication is with the main verb, you must hunger for the Bible, having laid aside these five things, for they'll keep you from it. The greatest tragedy, I believe, in the church of Jesus Christ has been the tragedy of the people of God 
not being familiar with the Bible. And I want to challenge every one of you to do something, to start doing something that will radically change your life, that will cause you to grow. And by the way, this same book will lead you to new birth too. It can get this new life started. But the thing that is going to keep it going and cause you to grow is the Bible. And I want to encourage you to do this, very practical. I don't know if you're a coffee drinker or a tea drinker or a juice drinker or a cup of water drinker, but I want you to begin to change your habits and make a time during the day and if possible in the morning as a priority the reading of the Bible. Have a cup of coffee and just read. Not study, just read. And see what that word will do for you and it will pull you in. And a certain section and a certain chapter will begin to remind you of other sections of the Word of God. And you'll start seeing the continuity of this message, this life-changing message. And you'll discover something. That book will feed you. It will. I have tasted and seeing that the Lord is good. And I have tasted and seen that his word is too. It'll change your life. So you change your habits. And you lay aside these five things that are keeping you from the Bible. And think of a newborn baby. And say, that must be the way I approach the Word of God. Let's pray together.